I lied for you. I killed for you. Lisa Aaron, Game of Thrones. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard. Along with me for the ride, as usual, please say hello to Mr. A.J. Mass. Hello, hello, hello. This is quite a ride indeed this week. Uh, all the way cross country, back, back to Nevada. Just two short weeks after we just came from Nevada. Why don't they just work out of Nevada? <laughs> I know Reed would be happy. He, you know, it's his uh, his hometown, his home state. He would be uh, ecstatic. Anyway, hey, guess what? This is a podcast about the TV show Criminal Minds. Every single week, we recap and take a look at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before, so I'm always a little bemused and befuddled. AJ is our grizzled veteran who has seen each and every episode many a time. And uh, that's the perspective he's going to be bringing for you, folks. And this week we are talking about season four, episode six of Criminal Minds, entitled The Instincts. It was written by Chris Mundy and directed by Rob Spira, originally aired on November 5th, 2008. What do you think of that title, AJ? The Instincts. It's not an easy word to say. (laughs) Instincts. Instincts. Well, I mean, if I were if I were a critic, it writes itself because then I could just say instincts. <laughs> it, it, it stinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh... But it doesn't stink that badly. No, it, not 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 a horrible episode. I have some issues with it, but uh, generally speaking, I, I do think this is a really nice launching pad. For many, many strong episodes to come. I mean, it's not hobos <laughs> right. at all. We're definitely at an upswing to here. that level. Yeah. All right, great. So, folks, uh, let's go ahead and get it started. Uh, we're going to open this week in what appears to be like one of our typical breaching of a house scene. Or is it a house? Is it an apartment? Is it? It's just some big escape room filled with hallways and doors because it seemed kind of uh almost dreamy i would say dreamlike oh, gee as almost <laughs> as if that is what they were trying to portray to you yeah a, a lot of a lot of uh similar shots down the same corridor <laughs> twin peaks in the black lodge as it were right. but you, you can't see the walls you can't quite see the background but darn it if the bau don't all have the guns drawn with their vests amped up mm-hmm. and just walking in formation and and ready to go and and reed seems to be in the lead and he finds a door and opens it and uh tells the others that it's a basement and they go downstairs and it appears there's a body you see the pant legs of a, what is probably a young boy it looks like over by a, a washing machine just sort of they're in a basement type area and, and that's what's down there so Reed wants to make sure that it's the boy that they're looking for. And Prentice and, and Hotch are like, well, yeah, who else could it be? And then it, it gets a little bit weirder as 
Reed turns around and there's a baby there that they didn't notice before when they immediately came down the steps. Reed starts saying, hey, JJ can't have her baby in here at the crime scene. And then he's just sort of waking up and we realize it's a dream. And he's saying, JJ, JJ. And he's actually fallen asleep on the BAU jet. And all the others are looking at him because he must have started speaking as he was waking up. And might I say that that situation is more of a nightmare than any nightmare I've ever seen on television. (laughs) (laughs) Like just that fear going, what did I say? And what secrets did I reveal from my id? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, even JJ is looking at him, and she's still pregnant. She hasn't had her baby yet, so uh, goodness. <laughs> just although case. although it begs the question: like, is she is she supposed to be bringing her baby to these crime scenes? <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, he tells them in detail. Like, most people would just say, oh, yeah, I had a bad dream. Not Reed. He's going to tell them in detail uh, what he was dreaming about and how J.J. had her baby at the uh, at the crime scene. And Morgan is like, well, you know, they say in uh, dream analysis that the baby represents you. And Reed just sort of cuts him off and says, I, I don't really believe in dream analysis. And Hot just like, no, 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 it makes sense, right? Because we're working on a case involving children. And maybe, you know, your subconscious is trying to tell you that you want out. And Reed is like, no, sir, that is not what my subconscious is telling me. Uh, it's a weird statement, quite frankly. Like, yeah. what are you, you, you trying to say, Hot? I, mean, I would have liked him to say, well, it makes sense, Reed, because this case involves a young boy. And we're going to your boyhood home. Right. Where you grew up. Like, that would have made more sense. But, like, you know, if you want to go back home. Well, read right now. Yeah. I can turn this jet right around. Like, what? <laughs> and so Prentice does bring up that fact. She says, oh, maybe he is stressed about going back to Vegas. Uh, and then she asks Reed if he's told his mom he was coming, and Reed immediately changes the subject and doesn't answer her. He asks about the case, so we review our case, and it's <laughs> a, about a... Uh, no, I just, he, he asked about the case. Like, why aren't we discussing the case? Because you were asleep, dude. Right. <laughs> like, we were all relaxed until two seconds ago. <laughs> and and, and it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's just the whole thing where it's like, all right, well, let's just start over. Because none of the audience watching on TV has heard what we said. Like, in reality, right. they probably would have said, all right, yeah, remember, we were talking about that, that kid. Right. <laughs> but we have to hear it from the beginning. <laughs> yes. And what we hear is that there was a five-year-old boy named Ethan Hawes. Two weeks ago, he was taken from his front yard when his mom went inside for just a moment to grab her purse. And then, unfortunately, a week later, his body was found in the desert. He had new clothes on. His his nails were clipped. His hair was combed. There was uh, no sign of sexual assault at all. Apparently, he was smothered to death. And now we have another missing boy who uh, is walking to a friend's house and has disappeared. And... They ask the usual question of how do we know these cases are connected? Again, I think they would have already established this before, but they've got to let us know. Exactly. Uh, um, And it's because uh, the unsub called the family in both cases, didn't ask for a ransom. Instead, he sort of trolled them, telling them that the situation was all their fault. And so they say, okay, well, what we have here is a remorseful unsub who is projecting his guilt onto the parents. And Hotch says, if we're lucky, we have six days to find him before he's killed. 
So then we immediately, of course, cut to a creepy scene from a scared little boy's point of view. He's apparently in a closet. The closet door opens. We see a shadowy figure take the boy out. Uh, after being scared for a second, the boy grabs the hand and, and goes with the figure. And they go over to a bed. And this is all quite creepy to me. And uh, the boy gets on the bed. And then it's a fake out on Criminal Minds part where it looks like our sub is going to smother the boy with a pillow. But instead, and I thought this was actually worse than if he just smothered him. But <laughs> instead, the sub gets on the bed next to the boy, puts his arm around him, and then we go to credits. Yes, we go to credits. Before we go to credits, I will say, I think the, the, the quote-unquote twist of the episode is given up when we see the Zunsub do this, because we will eventually come to learn it is not a guy, it is a, it is a woman. And it was a very a feminine, uh, motherly way that... Yes. The, it, it wasn't it wasn't like, ooh, I'm feeling up this little boy. It was, I'm taking care of, nurturing, yeah. protecting. It, it felt it was very feminine, which, of course, you know, the BAU isn't going to see, so I'm fine with them not picking up on that. But, like, as, as an audience member, I'm like, oh, it's a woman. <laughs> just, just very much so there. But anyway, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's criminal minds. So we come back to the team, and they're arriving at the latest victim's house. It's in a suburban Las Vegas residential area. So we get to see desert and mountain scenery in the background to make sure we understand that. And uh, we have Hotch giving us our opening quote. Amos Bronson Alcott, who I've got to look up because <laughs> that's quite <laughs> a name, said, Who speaks to the instincts? Speaks to the deepest in mankind and finds the readiest response. <sighs> <laughs> well, we got our episode title. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's uh, every every single uh, episode except the the premiere. So, uh, hooray, five in a row. <laughs> but oof, <laughs> look, you know, don't don't name it after the quote. Like, really, that's yeah. the title of this episode. We'll get to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after a brief meeting with our local detective, who I, I'm not even, I didn't even bother, like, I think they did say his name, but he was so inconsequential to this episode. I, I, anyway, they, they meet him and then they go inside the house and talk to the parents. The parents are clearly having issues with one another, as one might expect in an extremely stressful and, and horrible situation as they find themselves in. The mother... And I feel like this is kind of a trope, like where the mother is being a little bit crazy compared to the father at at the time who seems to be the calm and rational one. Do you think that's a, a, a true trope? Like, I feel like I've seen this before, uh, that type yeah, of yes. dichotomy. Yeah, I, I agree. But I do think that they handle this a little bit differently because... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, we'll get to it when we, we, we get more into this. I, but you're right. It, it, this is the easy route for her to be just like, it's all your fault. I you. And the husband, I have to do everything in my power. Why aren't you doing more to help my boy? I mean, it's not that. But we, yeah, we've seen that kind of uh, trope many times on the show already. Right. And and she gets defensive when Hotch asks, you know, did he, did he walk? Uh, was this? 
Did he walk to his friend's house often? And oh, what, what? You know, she gets all. Saying it's my fault. It's not my fault. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You get a lot of of going there. Who Uh, let him walk? (laughs) It was his fault. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I will say, I, I, not that these are star power actors, but this couple, both of whom appeared on many, many shows. The mother is Carrie Matchett, who I remember from uh, Invasion, a a sci-fi. Little number with with uh, Eddie Cibrian as her husband on that show. That was a that was a fun little show that went off the rails very quickly and probably mm-hmm. didn't last for more than a season. And of I course, remember uh, that show, yeah, yeah, and of course, Reed Diamond, who is uh, a stellar character actor who's been in a whole bunch of things, including one of my favorite one of these sci-fi mo- uh, TV shows that lasted a season and got canceled way too soon. Journeyman, in addition Ooh. to some, yeah, yeah. Ooh, nice call. Yes, I. I mainly remember Reed Diamond from also Homicide: Life on the Street, which uh, he was. Uh, yeah, he's he's. I mean, he's just one of these people who's in like a bazillion different things. <laughs> so yeah. So, basically, after sort of having a little mini freak out, she wants them to find her son, and she's. It's pretty clear she is blaming the father, uh, Mister Bridges, for letting their son walk to his friend's house all by himself. And so as she goes off, he apologizes for her behavior, but he does want to actually know what happened to the other little boy because obviously, you know, he wants to know the details. Well, he doesn't want to know the details. Well, yeah, he wants to know what, yeah. <laughs> well, what are we looking at here? Like, you know, did we, he, yeah. Yeah. Not what happened to the other little boy? <laughs> that might take this episode in a different direction. Yeah. You're right. Uh, we cut over to the morgue where Morgan and Reed are looking at the body, and we have the medical examiner telling them the details. And uh, it's clear that the child was smothered with a pillow, and there was no st- sign of a struggle. And he was actually probably too weak to put up a struggle. Uh, he brings up that the boy was very thin, and his stomach and intestines were completely empty. They say, like, like the child was being starved, and he says, yeah. But the strange thing is, is we found evidence that he was getting nutrients somehow, but we didn't find any, like, needle markers, any way that they would have been giving him the nutrients. So that was just a strange little fact of this particular examination. So then we cut to Prentice and Rossi, and they are at the uh, site where the bo- the first boy was found, and they complain about about the scene not being well preserved. And I think we had a very obvious dig here, being that the show was in Vegas uh, at the CSI franchise because. <laughs> Prentice is like, well, you know, when the crime scene investigators are here, they want to act like they're cops instead of just being scientists, and they trample over everything. Uh, yes, it was very, CSI very <laughs> fun little friendly dig, same network, ha ha. But yeah, definitely, uh, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if at some point down the road they go, you know, the Jags, yeah. <laughs> they think they're lawyers. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so... The main thing they figure out in this little scene is they think that the unsub didn't bring the body further into the desert because he actually wanted to be able to drive by and have easy access to see the body. And that's probably also why he groomed it after after the fact. He had to groom it there. They figured it must have been at night. You know, a, a bunch of sort of non-relevant details. Yeah, but. I, the, the interesting thing here is that uh, they do the thing where they, they have little 
video trickery flashback hypotheticals as to what they're talking about and you know where it kind of like dissolves in and out of them which again i like when they do that and also it is a kind of CSI thing to do as well. So I thought that was also just, this whole scene was basically like, hey, we could do it too. Huh? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Then, so they get on the phone to call Hotch to tell him about it. And Hotch asks the local detective uh, about the funeral tomorrow for the first boy. And he asks if he can see if they can get the parents to make it an open funeral to the public. Because they figure since this guy was to come and look Maybe he's going to come to the funeral. And uh, he also asks Mr. Bridges to go with his wife. And Mr. Bridges is like, oh, yeah, anything to help. And Hotch is like, yeah, but you better, like, speak to your wife about this because clearly she, she and you <laughs> have problems. And he's like, no, 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 no. If it's going to help, I'm going to do it. And Hotch is like, no, no, listen to me, bro. Speak to your wife. <laughs> if anybody knows. Uh, it's hot. You need to discuss things with your wife. <laughs> she may end up at her sister's house if you don't. <laughs> exactly. So next we cut over to Mrs. Bridges and she's in their son Michael's room and she's laying on his bed and she's looking at a picture of him. And JJ comes in and she's awesome JJ as usual, basically sort of, you know, trying to calm the situation down and, and sort of take care of her. And after a bit, the wife says, oh, my husband thinks, you know, that I'm blaming him. And JJ's like, oh, no, no, no. And and she's like, no, no, he's right. I I am blaming him. (laughs) See, this is where the the trope goes away. She's like, oh, oh, no, I blame him. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, But she feels bad about it. She knows it's not right. But she knows that that's how she's feeling. Yeah. It's it's irrational. It's not his fault. It's whoever took the kid's fault. But I'm still going to blame him because I need to blame someone and that person isn't here. So, yeah, no, it makes total sense. I I like the little spin on it. Yeah. And and she lets lets all the tea out, you know, about her husband. He just doesn't even know what to do with himself. He basically thinks they should be out there looking for him, taking action. And meanwhile, she recognizes she's just frozen. And fantastic acting on her part when she asks J.J., what kind of baby she's having and jj's like it's a boy and just the way she said congratulations oh uh, it was it was yeah it was nothing that was on the page there it's like she said boy and you could see her going i was happy about having a boy once and now i don't think i i can't say i have a boy too because i might not have oh it was just yeah really good stuff yeah and all she says is congratulations and very well done so then we cut over to the living room and the phone starts ringing and I thought this was a bit, a bit ridiculous. Like, <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> where was the prep beforehand? Like, they knew they were going to be expecting a call. And it, it almost seemed like Hotch just figured out, oh, we got to get somebody to talk to him and let's go over what you're supposed to say. Like, meanwhile, the phone is ringing off the hook. Then, Okay, uh, yes. They, 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 look, when they met the cop, <laughs> when they first arrived, first thing Hotch says is to him, like, is the tr- is the trace ready? And he goes, yeah, everything's set up. Everything was set up. This should all this was all taken care of. But because we haven't heard the explanation right. of what's going on, we don't know. And then the, the very last possible second, you know, we we, we said the father was going to answer. We want the mom to answer. Yes, right. Uh, <laughs> because uh, she's calmer, which is actually yeah. 
which is which is actually funny based on like you said what we had earlier where we thought it was going to be the other way around. Yeah. Do you know how many times that phone rings before they pick up? I didn't count them, AJ. Twelve times. <laughs> Twelve times. And I realized that the unsub in these cases is going to hang on the line right. <laughs> until they answer. Twelve times. I'm sorry. I kind of agreed with Mr. Bridges here. Like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got it. Like... Dad, and this is not the first time they've done this. Can you remember when the when the, when the twins went missing? Yep, yeah, <laughs> that guy yeah. Like, you're killing me, Gideon! the phone. <laughs> so Gideon has taught them well. <laughs> uh, so finally, they've got the mom to answer the call, and she answers the phone. And the unsub asks her if she's alone, and I should say that it's a a robotic, electronically manipulated voice so what's your favorite scary movie oh wait no not not that one (laughs) but yeah it is well you are a horrible parent and they deserve it (laughs) so she says uh no my husband is with me and then the unsub says in an accusing tone well why aren't you guys out looking for your boy and then hotch is pointing at text he must have wrote out super fast on the on the legal pad for her to say and she uh, tells the unsub, oh, he's right. And then the unsub says, well, you know, Michael is better off with me. And the mom says, uh, Mrs. Bridges says, uh, okay, let me talk to my son. Unsub says, uh, I don't, he doesn't want to talk to you. He knows what a bad mother you are. And your three minutes are up. And he hangs up the phone. Yes. And obviously, you you know, most on subs know, well, they're, they're going to trace the call, and therefore there's a time limit, three minutes. Do you know how long this phone call actually was? <laughs> because I do. I bet you do. How long was it, AJ? 39 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Your three minutes were not up, and if this was an unsub who cared so much about making sure to stick under... There was about two minutes and 21 more seconds of haranguing that could have been done. <laughs> oh, so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean... Just change play. the line. Your minute is up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So all Garcia was able to get, which I thought was a pretty good amount of information, was that this guy was on a disposable phone, mobile, still within the Vegas city limits. And again, we've seen Garcia have to try and track and chase before, and it's always like, oh, if only I had had 10 more seconds on this two and a half minute long call, I could have got it all. And she did all this in 39 seconds. She's a... a, Okay, yeah, she's gotten better since season one, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So at that point... Reed and Morgan have arrived. JJ has introduced them to the Bridges and lets them know that they're going to stay over at the house in case the unsub calls back. And so Mrs. Bridges says she needs to go get some rest. And JJ suggests to the father, yeah, shouldn't you be going after her? Because, yeah, someone needs to take care of your wife and it's supposed to be you. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, you do not want Reed to be the one to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, 
So Reed lets Hotch know what they found out from the medical examiner about the fact that they think that the boy was starved. And Hotch doesn't seem to think that that fits in with the fact that he groomed the boy. He says, you know, starvation would be like torture. And Morgan says, well, well, since there was no sexual assault, maybe the torture was a, a replacement for that. So Hotch, you know, says, okay, and uh, he's going to coordinate with Prentice and Rossi. And we'll let you guys know if we find out anything new. So they're going to take off and leave Morgan and Reed there at the house. We cut to later that night. And uh, Reed is sleeping on the couch in an upright position, might I add. But <laughs> it, it, hey, he's Reed. He's weird. Yeah. And uh, he's having the almost the exact same nightmare from earlier in the episode. Except for this time, as he's entering the basement... Instead of uh, Prentice and Hotch, he's with Morgan and Rossi. And uh, he goes down the stairs, and the body of a boy is there as it was before. But all of a sudden, Reed seems to feel something, and he opens up his shirt, and his body is covered with leeches. And he starts screaming, and, ah, get him off me, and brushing at his chest. And uh, he's wake he's screaming for Morgan to get them off him, and... All of a sudden, he's waking up in the real world, screaming for Morgan. <laughs> so Morgan has, at this point, rushed over to him. And the Bridges also have, if they weren't asleep, uh, if they were asleep, they aren't anymore. They no. Come down, so what the hell is going on down here? Morgan apologizes. And the dad seems very perturbed that the FBI that they're trusting <laughs> is is waking up screaming in the middle of the night. And I, I have to say, I would be a little concerned as well. Uh, you know, right, so here's the thing. It's like, I have no doubt that this is, prob- this, is, this is the worst period of these parents' life right now. And they're going through it. And they probably finally got to sleep. And they're awakened by screaming. So, yes, I understand why they're upset. But... Neither Morgan nor Reed do a very good job of explaining what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> because n- not once do they say, uh, I had a bad dream. I yeah. totally, totally by bad. Because if he had said that right away, yeah, they'd still be upset. But they're like, all right, well, you know, right. maybe they've had bad dreams too. Like, like sure, you, know, you can still be a little angry. But like Morgan's like, calm down. Everything, it was a mistake. It was a misunderstanding. Everything's okay. Yeah. It's all right. It's okay. He had a bad dream. Like, yeah. there's nobody in the house. <laughs> yeah. You're right. There's no explanation really given. <laughs> so. Yeah, um, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> Is our kid dead? No, 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 no. Calm down. Calm down. I'll explain everything. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if Reed just said, I thought that had a leech so much. <laughs> Maybe that would have helped defuse the situation. Uh, okay, you know, and that might not happen. Is that what happened to our boy? Is that what's happened to our boy right now? Is that what happened to the other boy? Is that why you're imagining it? You're imagining it? Like, uh, it could have spiraled. But again, just say, I, I am so bad. I have not been sleeping. This has nothing to do with the case. My bad. <laughs> Reed does apologize eventually uh, because the mother is is has stopped and she's asked Reed actually if he's okay because she's a little bit different. She can sense something. She's and, a mother. Like she's still like, you know, she she recognizes like he's distraught. Yes. Reed does apologize and say it was a dream. So she asks if it was about Michael and Reed says no. 
And she gets to say, well, she's been afraid to close her eyes because she doesn't want to see Michael die. And Morgan is just like, ah, we're very sorry. And basically herds them back upstairs. <laughs> Little do these parents know that five minutes from now, Morgan's going to start screaming, get him off me, get him off me, get him off me. <laughs> Because it's all just one big punked. <laughs> that would have been so good. Uh, so... Yeah, Reed is feeling bad. He tells Morgan he's just making things worse. And Morgan is like, hey, these cases can get to all of us. And Reed is like, hey, I'm losing it in their living room, and I'm dreaming about dead kids and being covered in leeches. And Morgan is like, hey, man, what's scaring you, man? What's scaring you, man? And uh, Reed just says, this boy is going to die, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. (laughs) Now, if the parents had stopped at the top of the stairs and were like... (laughs) Yeah. Listen again. Do not vocalize that. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, it's the next morning. We have a very brief scene where Mr. Bridges is putting on his tie and his wife is looking on and they share a troubled glance with each other and then they both head downstairs and the whole team is there and Mrs. Bridges starts saying she can't do this. You know what? She's not going to go to the funeral. They try to convince her you know, this is the best chance to draw out this guy. And having them there might cause this guy to slip up, basically, and give himself away. And she's just like, you know what? I can't watch them bury a child knowing that mine might be the next uh, next victim. And Morgan says, probably the wrong thing in this situation. He says, well, we think this plan has a reasonable chance of success. So she's like... Uh, yeah, so what's the reasonable chance I'll see my son again? 10%, 20%? Morgan's like, uh, <laughs> well, I, I don't have numbers per se. <laughs> like, yeah. And Hot says, look, you guys don't have to do this if you don't want to. But if you do, we need to go over what you're going to be looking for. So that's a good, basically a cue for us to cut over to the police station where Rossi and Prentice are giving the profile to the cops. And this is their profile. He's white. He's in his late 20s to mid 30s. He's probably from a middle class background. So he won't be in some high class tailored suit. He'll be paying specific attention to the bridges instead of to the funeral service. They also think he drives a four wheel drive. So let's pay attention to those mourners and and memorize the license plate. <laughs> Thank you. What, what, why would they have to memorize? Don't they have pens? Do they not know how to write things down? Can they not take out a camera and take pictures? Clickety, clickety, clickety. Yeah, I, I thought that was the weirdest line in this entire episode. Memorize license plates. What? Why? So, yeah. Uh, Emily, what did you just say? <laughs> Yeah, this case is all about remorse, AJ. That's the point they're hammering home. This is about remorse. And that's why they think there's a good chance that our unsub is going to be there today. We go back to the house, and Morgan is telling Mr. and Mrs. Bridges, you got to let us know if you sense someone looking for you. You know, it's it's really something you can sense. That's a real thing. You can sort of feel it when somebody's looking at you, so... Morgan gets that point across and and yeah and and you know this is mostly bs quite frankly <laughs> but it, look it, 
they got to get her to go. <laughs> Say whatever. Right. You know, maybe maybe she believes this thing, you know, whatever. But, yeah, you know, there there is going to be a point that perhaps she is going to be creeped out by somebody. And that's all that we really need. But it's not like, you're going to, you're just going to know in right. that moment. <laughs> because you're a mother. And some, something's going to tell you in your, no, let's not go there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, JJ is going to stay at the house. Just in case the uh, unsub is going to call, even though they don't think that's very likely. But if if they do, they need someone at the house, so JJ will be there. And as uh, they're leaving, JJ does tell Mrs. Bridges, look, you can do this. JJ always comforting and looking out for... Because JJ is is the bomb. Mm -hmm. We cut to upstairs in the house, and Reed is sort of pacing around Michael's bedroom, looking at his toys and things. And Morgan comes up to get him, and Reed is just, he's saying things like, oh, they're right. Odds are we'll catch this unsub when he dumps the body or tries to snatch another kid. So Reed is clearly handling this state, this case in a more emotional state than usual. Yeah, he's usually the very clinical, you know, stats-driven guy, and uh, he's very defeatist. That's that's the this, he's not upbeat positive read he's just Ugh, we all gonna die <laughs> and it it reminds him you know he starts going on to this thing about how toys haven't really changed since when he was in a, a kid but actually when he was a kid he didn't have these toys he had like notebooks and and books uh, that his mother gave him and his mother would fill the notebooks with poetry and, and Bob Dylan lyrics. And she was so proud when Reed would have memorized them because she was convinced that they were being watched and the songs were written about their lives. <laughs> and uh, he says, look, I've been dreaming about basements, right? You know, basements are a foundation, the first thing you build in a house. Uh, so that speaks to the core fundamentals of who you are as a person. And Morgan's like, didn't you say you don't believe in dream analysis? And Reed says, well, Freud was discredited, but Young still has his merits. <laughs> <laughs> There's Reed. He's still in there. <laughs> he admits to Morgan that he's been having different versions of this same dream since he was a kid, um, which is an, I thought was interesting since because I thought it was just you know since this case started and yeah. it turns out it, he's it, been having these dreams forever, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and, which uh, when I'll I'll totally buy into that. There's 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 a couple of dreams that I've had since I was a kid. Some variations on the theme. So I I believe that can happen. So, but what whether what's triggering it now specifically, you know, we don't know. Mm -hmm. And Morgan's is like, hey, look, you don't really have to work this case. We will all understand. And Reed is insistent. No, I I just want to find this boy. So then we cut over to the funeral, and. Uh, the minister, you know, is talking about what a sad situation, you know, ha ha. I mean, not ha ha. He's not saying ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, and also we have another child missing. And so let's, can we pray for that? And and we pan over slowly looking at everybody. And of course, it's all a very suspicious look to see who may be at the funeral and who may be our unsub. Uh, is anybody staring at the bridges? That's basically what we have for a few moments. And we can tell all of a sudden that Mrs. Bridges is sensing something. It's like she's got goosebumps or, or hives or something. And, and she looks around and she looks around again and she just says, 
he's here. And then we cut over to Reed, and Reed is freaking out a little bit. He's in a daydream, apparently, and he's seeing an, an open coffin with a child in it, and the, the, the child sits up in the coffin, and he looks at Reed and asks him why he isn't helping him. And then he sees himself as a child and his mother, the wonderful Jane Lynch, standing behind the coffin, sort of looking. His mother is actually looking at him, looking at them. <laughs> and and she says, Spencer, pay attention. And that's when Morgan sort of st- snaps him out of this dream state and he's asking him what's wrong. And Reed says... I've been here before. Like, he's been there in that very spot before. Was how yeah, it. he's been to the cemetery before. Not necessarily in that particular spot, but yes. Right. Because that would be weird if, <laughs> if he Quite was at a... Quite coincidence. There are people on top of each other now? <laughs> <laughs> so then we see, meanwhile, that Prentice is looking around. Did anybody think this guy was going to be our guy? Like... Did anybody watching this think this was our guy? I mean, he is videotaping in a very obvious manner with his cell phone, the old flip phone style. Flip phone. Flip phone. <laughs> yes. Flip phone. There's not enough room for him to film this entire, not, no memory that card that will allow him to film this entire ceremony. Right. On uh, his flip phone. <laughs> but Prentice and... Rossi go stand behind him and they are like, basically they're like, uh, who are you? Why are you here? And and I think he very quickly figured out that they were cops because he just answered their, like, he didn't be like, who are you? (laughs) Like, why are you? You You just stood behind me. (laughs) But, uh, uh, basically they say, you know what? Why are you videotaping this? Look, we're going to turn around. We're going to walk away. We're not going to make a disturbance. So he actually does turn around and walk away with them, not making a disturbance. Yeah, although he he immediately gives up the ghost, right? When he's like, like, so what are you here? What 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 are you doing? Do you, do you know the family? No, I just love kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. No. Wrong answer. <laughs> no one should ever say those three words together. In this, in this at, at cemetery, yeah. <laughs> cemetery. Yeah. Why did you become a Why did you become a kindergarten teacher? I love kids. Perfectly acceptable. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what are you doing here outside the bathroom at the at the pool? <laughs> I love kids. Not, Not acceptable. Can't do it. Nope. <laughs> okay. So now we cut over to the police station in the interrogation room and they're talking to this suspect and he's asking, he's trying to sort of play it like I'm the big bad criminal. I know what I'm talking about. Am I under arrest? They say, no, no, no. You love kids. (laughs) So you're just helping with this investigation. (laughs) Um, And he's like, so you have no right to search me. And Rossi is like, why? What are you scared we're going to find? And, uh, they say, do you, do you like uh, videotaping other things besides funerals? And outside Maybe the room. birthday parties? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Outside the, the room, Morgan has walked up to the uh, local detective. He asks them how it's going. And the detective says, this guy is nervous and they're trying to pin him down. 
And Reed is there. He notices Morgan has a file in his hand. He asks what that is. And Morgan asks the local, local cop if he minds giving them a minute to talk. So he's like, okay. He walks off. Which, you know, if, if they're all there watching the interrogation, why don't they let the local cop continue to watch the interrogation if you need to talk to him about something? Why don't you two go off? But anyway. <laughs> Look, you know and I know that we don't have a scene for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Morgan tells Reed that he had a detective pull this file. What's okay. the name of that file, Katad? <laughs> Come on, say uh, it. Does the name Riley Jenkins mean anything to you? Riley Jenkins! <laughs> all uh, I could hear. All I could hear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just, I guess I just wondered, I don't know how much time has gone by but Morgan has done some hell of a detective work job to get the Riley Jenkins file. Uh, <laughs> Reed is like, no, that name doesn't mean anything to me. And he says, uh, think back to when you were a kid. And Reed is like, well, I did have an imaginary friend named Riley. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Reed, really? Morgan says, okay, Riley Jenkins was murdered here in Las Vegas when he was six years old. According to my mathematics, you would have been four, year old, four years old at the time. And uh, Riley was found in his own basement behind the dryer, stabbed, and he was also sexually uh, abused. I, I can't figure out how Morgan found this file, this case, and how, and the fact that it connected to Reed. I, uh, you know I, what? Actually, I actually can... Simply because Reed has been telling him all about the dream, so it's like they're in the place. So the fact that it's a paper file is fine. He doesn't need to clickety-clack. Yeah. They have the files there. Like, hey, you know, from the time Reed was a kid, so he's got a window of maybe eight years. You have any kids who are around five, six years old who were found dead in a basement? How many of those could there really be? Okay. I, I I could see it. All right, Riley Jenkins. <laughs> so we cut back to. <laughs> I I just don't understand. Have you have you have a file on my murdered imaginary friend? Yes. Uh, we cut back to the interrogation. Rossi and Prentice are asking where they can find Michael Bridges. The suspect is like, "You guys are trying to frame me," and then so they ask him why he was video videotaping <laughs> the funeral, and I'm like. You guys know what a videotape is? It's not a flip phone. (laughs) Um, Record. (laughs) Recording. Recording. (laughs) But uh, Prentice says, wait, I get it. It's death. Death is is getting you off. And the suspect is starting to snap. And he says, I told you I don't touch. And Rossi's like, no, you just kill them. And you find ways to watch them after. And the guy says, look, I'm not sick. And Prentice says, you want to tell us how sick you are? Don't you, Walter? You do want to tell us. Uh, you want us to search your computer in your house because it's eating you up and you want to be stopped. And Walter screams, he would have never molested that boy. And then they kind of look at each other and Rossi says, uh, which boy? Walter says, the one from the funeral. And they look toward the window and Morgan and Reed look at each other because they all know this means they don't have the right guy because the boy was not molested. 
Yes, and it also it also means that this guy is saying, what he's really saying is, sure, I'm a child molester, but I'm a preferential child molester, and this boy does not fit my preference, so you have to let me go, right? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> this guy. No moleste. No moleste. <laughs> this guy has no idea of any of the details of the crime, so Reed has to call Hotch and let him know. And Hotch, who is just arriving at the Bridges house with the Bridges has to get out, they get out of the car, and he has to tell them they, they don't have the right guy. This was just some other perverted <laughs> child molester guy that they happened to catch. And uh, Mrs. Bridge is like, well, how many of these guys are out there? And Hotch is like, unfortunately, it's, it's more than you want to know. <laughs> how many guys are out there? This is season four. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to be on for season 16 someday. <laughs> uh... So then we cut to see a station wagon pulling up to some house in some suburb, uh, some deserty kind of. Location. I would call it more of an exurb. <laughs> yeah. right. Fair. And uh, inside the house, we see Michael at the door trying to figure out how to get out. He's trying to unlock the door somehow, but he hears the unsub returning and he runs back to the closet and gets back in it. Cut back over to the Bridges' house, and they get a call from the unsub. Mrs. Bridges answers the phone, and the unsub immediately says to put the FBI on, uh, and Mrs. Bridges tries to play it off like, huh? And the unsub says, look, I know they were there. I saw them at the funeral. And so she gives the phone to Hotch, and the unsub says, you were trying to trick me. You were trying to lock me down, but you arrested the wrong person. And Hotch says, look, let's just slow down and talk. And the unsub says they only have three minutes. Why, AJ, do they only have three minutes? Because There are rules! <laughs> yes, thank you. I was going to do that if you want. <laughs> because there are rules. And Hotch says, well, it was a good thing that the unsub was at the funeral. He must have really cared about Ethan. The unsub says, I loved him. His parents didn't deserve him. I took care of him. And Hotch says, is that why you bought him new clothes? And and the unsub says, well, they put him in those silly blue sneakers in that lime green Oxford. And he hated those. Side note, I, I would hate blue snake sneakers and a lime green <laughs> shirt as well. <laughs> but, I, I mean, fair enough, but also let the kid wear what the kid wants to wear. <laughs> yeah, true. True that. Hotch says, well, you know what? When you're good enough to bring Michael home... You can tell his parents what he really likes. I'm like, really? You think that's going to work, Hotch? <laughs> uh, the unsub says, oh, he's never coming home. I saw that so-called mother of his. She looked right at me, and she knows he sleeps better with me. Uh, creepy. Mrs. Bridges grabs the phone and says, I don't know who you are. Please give me back my son. I'm begging you, please. The unsub says, your time is up, and hangs up the phone. One minute, ten seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so not three minutes? Not three minutes. Not three minutes. Uh, we cut back and we see Michael is still in the closet. And we see a similar scene play out as before. He's lying there, scared on the bed. The unsub gets onto the bed with the pillow. Uh, so we've seen that before. And yeah, you feel bad for this kid. <laughs> After a break, the team... We come back to the team reviewing the tape, and that's when Reed has decided and figured out, guys, we're not really talking about a male unsub here. The way she said, I loved him, 
the way she mentioned the blue shoes and the lime green Oxford. Basically, a, a guy would not speak those details in that manner. And Morgan agrees, you know, it really does sound like a female unsub. And Mrs. Bridges, who's there while they're discussing this, says, well, like, you know, we could have been looking at men and women, you know? And Rossi says, well, the statistics show that women take newborns and men take children. And Garcia is on the phone. And so they ask her to look where uh, any of the license plates from the funeral were registered to women. But after a quick clickety-clack, there were none that were registered to any women. And Reed says that he has further figured out from this conversation that the woman must have been institutionalized because she said things like being locked down, not arrested or, or put away. And he knows from experience with his mom, he knows most mental facilities are very rigid on the amount of phone time you get and the three-minute thing probably that wasn't her rule but that was the rule of the institution that she was in so rossi asks garcia if she can get records of women that have been released recently in the past three months from mental institutions you know perfect preferably ones that have gone through tragedy probably maybe losing a child of course garcia can't clickety that clack because there's no central database to protect patient privilege that's when Reed gives a look and says, oh, he might have a way to get this information. Yes, he might. What might that way be? Who does he know who might be inside a Las Vegas-based mental institution? (laughs) (laughs) Cut to Reed at his mother's facility, and a doctor comes over to him. His mother's doctor welcomes him. Didn't know he was in town. Reed lets him know he's there on a case, and actually he's there to ask for his help. Um, He asks him if he knows about the recent abductions and murders, and he kind of, he said murders, and it's only been one murder so far, but I wondered if that was kind of a fatalistic, or it's just the way they wrote it. Could have been a fatalistic, could have been a Freudian slip, because he's still thinking about Riley Jenkins in his head, so you know, you never know. Yeah. So basically, uh, they realize that he tells the doctor they know it's a woman and she's probably been recently released from a facility. This doctor knows all the other facilities in town. Could he perhaps get on the horn with them? <laughs> and look, he's not Reed knows he's not going to ask them to 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 uh, get files or anything like that. He knows about confidentiality, but maybe he can give them their profile that they have and it may help this woman is delusional she's fueled by grief may have lost a child of her own probably around the age of five so the doctor says he'll see what he can do and he walks off meanwhile reed goes over to the chair where his mother is sitting she's surprised to see him he mentions he's working on a case he explains the case she doesn't like that he's working on something so sad And she asks what's going on with him, and he says nothing. But she's like, don't lie to your mother, Spencer. She can tell. She she says, we know. We feel things. We feel things. Why, if we were at a funeral and somebody who had kidnapped our son showed up, we would know instantly who it was. (laughs) (laughs) And we cut back to the Bridges' home. They're having Mrs. Bridges looking again at the video from the funeral after a brief bit she's able to pick out a blonde woman who gave her the weird feeling that she had and so Hodge tells Garcia to uh, run that image and and run it through Vicap and get all the info and then we cut back to 
to Reed's mom going, see, I told you, a mother knows. Exactly. <laughs> Reed does ask his mom about Riley Jenkins, and she says, oh, that was just a story you made up. And Reed says, no, actually, he was a kid that was murdered when I was four. <laughs> and she says he must be mistaken. And Reed says, kind of loudly, he's been seeing things. And she looks around like, dude, you don't be saying that in a mental institution uh, if you're not already uh, at home there because you fair, never know. Fair, Very fair. <laughs> Reed says he's been having these dreams about this since he was a child. And Reed says, oh, uh, I'm sorry, his mother says, you know, you were always a reader and it, perhaps that affected your dream. And Reed is like, well, no, I remember when I was four, we went to a funeral and his mother's like, oh, maybe that was your Uncle Daniel's funeral. And Reed's like, no, I'm remembering we used to move houses and then you and, and my dad would argue about it and you would tell my dad that I was in danger and she tells him that he was in danger. And when Reed asks why she thought that, she just says she just knew a mother knows we're animals, Spencer, we feel things. Man, she is doing a wonderful job of deflecting these questions left and right. I mean, she's quite savvy when when, when she's when she's focused. You, you can see the the hint of the woman she used to be. <laughs> right. At that moment, the doctor stops by to let Reed know he's tried nine different hospitals and they haven't gotten anybody that matched the description of who he was looking for. And then he tells Reed that if this woman has an Axis One condition, then her release isn't really the issue. It's whether or not she's been keeping to her medications. And that gives Reed's mother the, the inspiration to realize, she says, look, I went off my medications when I had Reed. It was scary, but I made it. And it was beautiful. I had you, Reed. It was worth it, basically. And this sets off a thought in Reed, who's like, oh, snap, because... <laughs> Women abduct newborns. And so he asks uh, the doctor if it's possible for a woman to convince herself that a random five-year-old child is actually her own newborn child. The doctor says, well, if the psychosis was strong enough and if she stopped taking her medication, then absolutely, yes. I, I just wish he would have like pointed to some guy in the corner and go, well, he thinks he's Henry VIII. <laughs> yeah, what do you think? <laughs> uh... So then Reed calls over to Hotch. He says he thinks he knows why the M.E. was so confused. I think she's breastfeeding them. Uh, we cut to see a woman rocking a baby, and she's breastfeeding. And it's a baby. Well, mind yes. you, it's a, it's a yes. baby. And uh, then she's getting up, and she's in this cute little nursery, blue wallpaper, you know, a nice little nursery. And she's putting the baby in a crib. And then we get a Criminal Minds-y type of camera sweep around the room. And as that's going around, we're revealing what the room really is, which is the not the nice nursery, but the dingy room of that house. And it's not the baby in the crib. It's little Michael on the bed. I just wish the show would make up its mind um, because I want to see reality. <laughs> but... The show is called Criminal Mind, so if you're going to do this where we get to see what's going on inside the criminal's mind and see their point of view, they should do this a lot more often. 
Mm -hmm. I, it just it just bothers me that it's few and far between when they do this. And they do do this from time to time where we don't have a reliable narrator because we're seeing things from the unsub's point of view. But either do it every week or, or just don't do it. Yeah. I, I, just, I just don't like it. And I'm a little, I'm a little also a little upset that, uh, you know, okay, they're, they're not in a small town here. They're in Las Vegas. So I would have hoped that the medical examiner would have at least come up with the idea of breastfeeding as an alternative <laughs> way back at the beginning. Like, funny, no food in the stomach and there's no IVs. I can't think of a single other way that a child could get nut nutrients in their body. <laughs> yeah, very fair. So uh, our next scene, we have Garcia back, and she's gotten a VICAP hit on the woman from the funeral. Her name is Claire Bates. She was institutionalized three years ago after assaulting a fellow legal secretary at a law firm she was working at. And by assault, she means she bit off her ear. <laughs> Mike Tyson. Uh, she doesn't have a current address and Morgan suggests running the license plate again. Uh, she does find the car that was registered to Claire's father, but the address isn't going to help them. This guy died two years ago. They do have her checked recent births, and finally we have a match. Claire apparently gave birth to a son three weeks ago. But seven days later, social services took the baby away after an evaluation. And they go, oh, so that's why she's been keeping them seven days. She's basically recreating the loss of the baby uh, and they ask Garcia to read from the social services report. So she reads, while it is admirable that the patient stayed off the antipsychotic medication for the health of her fetus, we strongly believe that due to a history of violent and delusional behavior, there's a significant risk to the child if she is granted guardianship. Therefore, the child should be a ward of the state until such time a full-time guardian can be established. And as Garcia is reading this, meanwhile, what we're seeing is our woman, Claire, uh, Claire Bates, behind the house, and she's frantically throwing a bunch of wood onto a pile as if she's about to start a large bonfire or something. Prentice asks Garcia if they have an address. Yes, they do. She gives it to them. Hotch tells the Bridges that JJ's going to stay there with them and we'll call you if we got any updates. And he also tells JJ to tell Reed uh, where they're going. We cut back to see our unsub. And she's pouring gasoline or lighter fluid or whatever over the wood pile. Meanwhile, the SUVs arrive. They're starting to do the breach thing. Morgan and Rossi are going to go around to the back. Prentice and Hotch take the front. They uh, get into the house they're sort of searching it, and Clara, they see her walking down a hall. They yell after her. She runs out back. She's carrying with her something swaddled up in a blanket. And this is, the, to me, the most comical part of the entire episode. <laughs> because there has to be some sort of secondary procedure. When... The team goes into a house, and there's going to be an unsub in there, and they all have their weapons drawn. What do they do? They go room to room, and they announce to the rest of the team that there is no unsub in this room by saying, Clear! Clear, right. And then Hodge sees her run and goes, Claire! Claire! <laughs> Which means everything's okay. <laughs> right. 
And yet, everyone goes running after her. I'm like, no, he said it was clear. They would just continue on. <laughs> it is the worst thing to shout clear in a house when you're looking for Claire. <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time this episode comes up. <laughs> That's really funny. I, I, I didn't think of that, but I, if I watch this again... Uh, Claire! <laughs> Claire. Okay, cool. We'll just move on. Why is anyone alarmed? <laughs> I guess she's not here then. Let's go. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hotch is running after her in the backyard. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, Hotch radios out to Morgan and Rossi that, that Claire is headed out back. <laughs> and she's got, they, he says, she's got the boy, so be careful. Um, they run out, and there's Claire standing behind this huge bonfire that she apparently started. Like, I mean... <laughs> yeah, we didn't see her drop the match, but okay. For effect, I'll let it go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So she's standing there, and they've all got her at gunpoint. And meanwhile, uh, we see that Reed has arrived, and he's going through the house searching. And Rossi is basically telling Morgan he's got to shoot Claire. <laughs> I'm like, why don't you do it? If you're so, like, do you got the shot? Do you got the shot? And And Morgan is like... Well, yeah, I got the shot, but we're not really going to shoot her, right? And, and Rossi's like, no, no, no. If she starts to, if she's going to dump that baby on the fire, uh, that boy on the fire, you know, we got to take the shot. So they try to make it this dramatic tension moment of. Yeah. And, and let's, and let's be, let's be quite clear here that <laughs> like she's carrying that bundled baby. Like there is no way she'd be able to run that fast if this was actually the five-year-old. Yeah. If it was an actual baby, I would buy it. But we know it's not actually a baby. It's a five-year-old. I just, I just don't buy that that this is the five-year-old that yeah. should be able to carry and run that fast. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't. And, of course, Reed goes into the room. Oh, there's Michael. And he radios everybody. Hey, he's got Michael. He's got Michael. But uh, if Claire did have a baby with her, guess what? Uh, they failed because she throws, <laughs> she does manage to throw uh, the bundle she was carrying in the fire, uh, and we quickly see that it was just like a teddy bear. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. Which we'd seen in the room earlier, but yeah. still, it's just like, ugh, really. Um, I mean, I'm just I'm just glad that Morgan like hears like I got Michael, I got Michael, and he drops his gun, like right. he lowers his his gun. Uh, <laughs> but it's still. How do you know she hadn't kidnapped someone else in the meantime? Or if right. it wasn't an actual baby she had found? Like, you didn't know. They, they probably should have shot her in the leg or something. In the leg, yeah. Like, Yeah. Oh, don't go for the headshot. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's not her fault. It's yeah. not her fault. She's clearly suffering. She's not doing this intentionally. Um, you know, just like, I don't know why you would take the baby away from her. Uh, like, and say, oh, you know, it was admirable that you went off your medication to give birth and now you've had the baby for seven days, and we've deemed that you're not going to go back on the medication? Like, put her back on the medication, and then yeah. see. <laughs> like, it's really weird. Yeah, that, this is a tough story there. I don't, but uh, anyway, that's uh, that's it. They, she's been taken. And then meanwhile, we've called the bridges. They've arrived there, and after a bit of walking around and looking around, Mrs. Bridges sees her son. They have their reunion. Mr. Bridges is with her. They're hugging. And then Mrs. Bridges walks over to JJ and tells her she's going to be great. 
Um, she means as a mother, I'm assuming. Here. Yes, yes <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and meanwhile, Morgan has gone over to Reed, who is still standing there looking a little bit lost. And, and Morgan says, hey, you know, this is going to be about as good a day as we're going to get on this job. Reed says he knows, and Morgan says, but you're still thinking about a boy. You're not even sure if you really knew. And Reed says, look, when I was four, my mother had a sense that I was in danger. And Morgan is like, Reed, your mother wasn't well. And Reed is like, I know the facts about the case. And Morgan says, look, you've got a photographic memory. Odds are you saw that story, and he was a little kid just like you, and it caught your imagination. He says, uh, Reed says, I don't think you really believe that. And Morgan says, you know what I really believe? I believe you could have done anything in the world with your life and you chose to do this job. Your man, Carl Jung, says our unconscious is the key to our life's pursuits. (laughs) So Morgan gets Reed with a, a Carl Jung quote. And Reed is like, yeah, yeah. Morgan just says, look, whatever reason, the case is just stuck in your brain after all these all these years. Not only did it lead you to this career choice, but to the same city where your mother lives and for us to have the opportunity to save this child. Uh, okay, I've got a tiny violin for you. Like, nice pep talk, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I don't buy a word of it. I don't even know if he dies a word, buys a word of it. But okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it did nothing for me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so then everybody's sort of standing around and Reed asks Hotch, if it's possible, if they can wait until tomorrow to return home. And Hotch looks at Morgan and is like, well, do you think you could find something to do in Las Vegas for the night? <laughs> Which is a ridiculous <laughs> question to Morgan. Uh, I, I just wish Morgan would have gone, woo, Siegfried and Roy! <laughs> <laughs> that would have been shocking. And then it's it's montage time. <laughs> really? Uh, happy music montage. Yes, we get... Reed giving us our outgoing quote. Bob Dylan once said, I think the truly natural things are dreams which nature can't touch with decay. Reed is back at with his mom and she says she's proud of him. And he's like, for what? And she says, saving that boy. And he's like, how did you know? She says, I told you, a mother knows. And uh, he tells her Dr. Norman gave him permission to sleep on her couch if it's all right with her. And she looks around, <laughs> kind of fun, kind of funny, says, if anyone tries to keep him here any longer, I'll scratch your eyes out. So Dr. Norman is like, yes, yeah, one night only. <laughs> one night only. And she tells Reed, it helps. It really helps if they think you're crazy. Uh, they don't argue with you. That's, I mean, that's just classic Jane Lynch delivery. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that works with somebody else, but with her, that's just, yeah, that's Jane. <laughs> then we get the music Shelter from the Storm, Bob Dylan. It's playing. We see the crew. They're eating dinner. It looks like a Chinese food or uh, Asian food place. And they're having, you know, employee to employee happy dinner time. I don't know how to describe that. <laughs> I, it, it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a happy montage yeah. of everybody enjoying life. Yeah. Except for Claire, who they do cut to, and she's just sort of laying on her jail cot. But it's not sad. It's it's poignant. <laughs> it's, it's poignant, it's, and she's and she's kind of cradling the the non child with her. So you know, right back to the team laughing and they're eating and and JJ is rubbing her belly looking down at it so we get that sort of vibe and then we 
cut over to the Bridges who have arrived home with their child. They look happy and Mr. and Mrs. are holding hands as they go up the stairs. So looks like whatever their issues were are, are going to be worked out. Yeah, cut, cut to two months later. You know that time you let our son get kidnapped? <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, and then uh, we go to Reed. He's sleeping on a cot by his mother's bed. And we zoom in on him, and his eyes are doing the, oh, he must be having a dream, rapid eye movement uh, (laughs) type of thing. And, uh, of course, we're in the same dream as before. And now Reed is headed down the basement stairs. Uh, I think he's just by himself this time. But as he gets to the bottom, there's now the body, but there's a figure standing over the body. And Reed is like, FBI, put your hands in the air. The figure puts his hands in the air. Reed says, show me your face. The man turns around and looks at him, and Reed is shocked. He says, Dad? And our episode ends. Dum, dum, bang! So what is the implication here? That his dad killed the four-year-old Riley Jenkins? I believe that is the implication. Oh, damn. All right. I mean, you know. Some something clicked, and now he's seeing more of the dream. Whatever, um, but yeah, that's a new piece of information. <laughs> I couldn't remember if we saw his dad before. Was this the first actual sighting? Um, yeah, I think this is the first actual sighting. Okay, so yeah, that was our episode, AJ. Uh, yeah, quite the episode. What did you think in terms of our barometer? Do you think the team won this episode? I, you know, they they won. Like, how could they not have? They they not only did they uh, find the kidnapped child alive, which does not always happen in these situations, but they did it without Morgan having to assassinate the the right. Not really to blame unsub. So yeah, I think this is a, a win all around for this one. Excellent. And uh, one other thing we like to do before we wrap things up. AJ, we like to do, we like to tease out the next episode as you were, as you will, and you uh, give me a fiendishly difficult multiple choice question. Uh, yeah, you we should do that. We do do that. Did we want to give an alternate title for the episode? You know, I had a hard time coming up with an alternate title. I, I was trying to think of a better title, and... Mine was going to be lame. I was going to say Shelter from the Storm, which would have been maybe too obvious. Uh, okay. But I liked it better. I would have liked that better than The Instincts. Uh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I probably would have just gone with Mother Knows Best or something like yeah. that. Because it was all about mothers. JJ, soon to be a mother. The mother. Mother, 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 mother. All that. The mother knows. The mother Knows Best probably would have been. <laughs> or Mother Knows Breast. <laughs> considering. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, we got my pun in there. All right. Yeah. Very good, very good. Uh, I do have a trivia question. However, a, a little different question because, as you might have surmised, this was a part one of a part two because they already told us we're stay. Can we stay another night? And now he's had this dream. So I think you kind of know where this is going for next week. We're going to dive uh, a little bit more into the case of one Raleigh Jenkins. Um, so I'm just going to ask you a question 
a little bit differently, but related. Uh, the episode next week, Criminal Mind, Season 4, Episode 7, is entitled Memoriam. Uh, and it's, it's a part two. So instead, I'm going to ask a little bit about Andrew Astor, who was the actor who played young Spencer Reed in this episode, and he will also be appearing in next week's episode as well. Okay. Uh, you may also know him as uh, one of the uh, kids in, in the Insidious movies. He's in one and two. I believe he's making a comeback for Insidious 5, which is due to come out soon. <laughs> Probably as a, as a grown man. I, I don't know. I've I've never watched the, ser- the series, I, but, I, you know. I, yeah. neither, neither have I, but yes. Okay. All right. So, uh, I am going to give you multiple choice of four credited roles by Andrew Astor prior to and general aftermath of his appearance in these episodes of Criminal Minds. I'm going to give you the role that he was credited in, uh, credited as, and the project that he starred in of these roles. Three of them real. One of them I have made up. Okay. Uh, George, I have to suss out which one I have made up. Alrighty. Do we understand the rules? I do, sir. Because there are rules! <laughs> you have three minutes to answer. Uh, <laughs> 38 seconds? Okay. <laughs> yes. So we have A, Ice Cream Kid in Rowdy Ruddy Piper Fights Childhood Obesity. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember that one? I don't, but I'm... Guaranteeing you that's true. Go on. Okay. <laughs> so, so, was he uh, uh, B, the lost crying kid in The Hottie and the Naughty? <laughs> All right. Was he C, young President Bush on Human Giant? Okay. And D, Young Weird Al in Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Three of these are true. One I made up. Which is the made up one? I am. Which is the made up role? Yes. Which did he not start? Yes. I mean, all of them sound plausible to me. I I I have to insist that the Roddy Roddy Piper thing is real. Uh, So I'm definitely not picking that. Um, for no real reason at all, I'm going to go with young George Bush in The Human Giant. Uh, I will pick that as the false role. I have no reason for that. (laughs) Indeed. And why would you? Uh, Because I'm sure you watched all of these things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you are not correct. Ah, dang it. I know. I know. Uh, I mean, uh, I'd never seen it, but <laughs> indeed, he was Ice Cream Kid <laughs> in a video called Rowdy Roddy Piper Fights Childhood Obesity, and presumably also Jimmy Superfly Snooka. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. Uh, he was young President Bush on Human Giant. Uh, so, uh, you know. Remember that film, The Hottie and the Naughty, <laughs> with Paris Hilton? It's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, he was not in that. That was our fake. Uh, but he was young Weird Al in Weird, the Al Yankovic story, not Weird, 
the movie that just came out this year. Right. But the original short with Aaron Paul playing grown-up Weird Al that inspired this current movie. So it was like the short version, trailer version that they made uh, about 10, 15 years ago, <laughs> which then turned into this movie um, that we know today with Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, I I feel like I maybe I did see Weird Al a couple of years ago at uh, Radio City, and I feel like he had like a video montage, and I feel like maybe that, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that uh, could that you you could have seen Young Spencer Reed. <laughs> yeah, yes. All right, well, folks. That is our show for this week, and thank you all for joining us. As usual, I'd like to say I hope you had a great time, and please be sure to subscribe to Rate, Review, do all that podcast stuff that you do. Put us on your favorite podcast platform. Let iTunes know that we're worth people's time if they want to hear about Criminal Minds. Uh, All that good stuff. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com, or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye, and keep profiling. Wheels up! Some people were crazy for it, and some people just thought I'd lost my shit. All I can do is follow my instincts, because I'll never please everyone. Emma Watson.